Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. My name is Jeanette Abney. I want to thank you for joining me here for another episode here at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. I'm going to first thank my Heavenly Father for blessing me this morning, waking me up, and giving me the activities of my limbs. I also want to thank my loyal listeners who have been listening, following, offering support, guidance, And I also want to say happy belated Mother's Day to those mothers out there, mothers-to-be, and those of us like myself who have lost their mothers. I want to make sure I say happy belated Mother's Day. Now, today is a very interesting topic. And I have some individuals that are going to be on the air with us today. And we're going to be talking about policing and respect. Now, working in the field of law enforcement may not be as easy as many individuals think. Many individuals grew up watching movies and cop shows like Cops and, you know, Bad Boys with Martin Lawrence and Will Smith and, you know, and and let's not forget watching Law and Order and all these other shows that we watch. Now, those shows kind of helped us develop a perception as to what the job may consist of. However, it seems like every day, we are hearing about more and more police shootings, things happening in our communities, and what can we do to stop the madness? They say if you're not going to be part of a solution, don't add to the problem. But my question then becomes, when should one call the police? So I want to thank you for joining us. If you're on Facebook Live or if you're going to be calling into the radio show, but if you want to join in on the conversation, give us a call at 516-387-914, because I do want to hear your thoughts, but I want to make sure we are very respectful. Now, due the time, let me start logging on again. Give me a second. Good afternoon. This is Jeanette. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Okay. Now, I don't see names. I only see numbers. And your last number ended in a five. So I don't know if it's Dorian or if it's Mr. Oliver Thompson. So which one are you? Okay, now I can't hear you. Well, since Oliver is not answering, I guess it's me. Okay, well, you know what? Somebody else is on the other line. I haven't clicked them on yet. So I just wanted to make sure that I was introducing the right person because it's Dorian there. Thank you for being obedient and joining us on this call. Tell the listeners, Dorian, who you are and what you do. Uh, Yeah, my name is uh, Dr. Dorian Burton. Uh, I'm a uh, psychologist and professor at the RCC. Uh, Retired from uh, Inglewood Police Department, uh, Riverside County Sheriff's, and Gardena PD. Okay. Um, about it. Well, thank you. You know what? Thank you for your honesty, your modesty, and the work that you've done. We appreciate it. At least I know I do. So let me log in on the other, log in the other color. Hi, this is Jeanette. Welcome to Precious Predicament. Number ended in a three. How are you doing? Just fine, Jeanette. This is Lala Thompson. This is who? Oliver Thompson. Okay, Oliver, thank you for joining us. You know what? Your bio kind of sounds a little bit like Dorian, because I'm sitting up here like, 
He said he wasn't all of her, but he gave that description. But I want to thank you two gentlemen for joining in on the air today, because this is a topic that many of us, we really need to gain more information as far as what happens when we talk about community policing. What do we do? Because we hear so many terms thrown at us and you know, people like myself, I mean, I was trained in law enforcement, studied, got my degrees in criminal justice, never been out in the field, but I grew up in Compton, so you might as well say that was in the field. So when we start talking about these attitudes, perceptions, respect, and the, considering that you two have done the work, what do you think that we can do or help us? I got a lot of questions I want to ask the two of you. But what, what is your take on this, just the, the topic? within itself. I'm going to ask you, Dorian, policing and respect. Well, um, just to let you know, there is a connection between uh, Dr. Thompson and myself. He's like my spiritual father. He's He hired me uh, at Inglewood when he was the chief. Um, but we are views basically are parallel in terms of uh, policing. Um, you know, if someone's calling for the police to come out there, then, you know, there's to their to their home, or if they're in need of, uh, of the police, then there's definitely a reason. There's something going on that uh, requires uh, professional attention. Mm-hmm. And, um it's, you know, when you go out there, it's the main reason why we're why we respond is to is to to be of help, for the most part, to uh, to the public at, at large, because they're they're the ones the taxes that pay our salaries at that time anyway. <laughs> you know, Dorian, that's interesting because I was talking about Mother's Day, and just yesterday, my daughter and I went to go put flowers on my mother's grave, and we. We saw, she, I, I saw this guy, but I didn't pay the guy any attention. But then as we were leaving the cemetery, we saw the police were there. And I'm like, you know what? It looked like it was total chaos at the cemetery. But when you got to call the police to the cemetery, it's like, really? You know, what's going on that would initiate a phone call to the police and calling the police? And a lot of times individuals don't understand we're talking about that, yes, we called them or someone called them because we needed some help. And then individuals get upset sometimes because sometimes a lot of other things happen and transpire once people get together. You know, I was not only just the incident with the cemetery, I was watching the news this morning and I saw in New York where individuals were, something was going on, it was a shooting, and they had a, a police officer running down the street with a four-year-old, I believe the child was four-year-old. But the thing, well, the thing is, police, I don't know who's trained to do that. What do you, you know, because you got to think quick, be on your feet. you got to be able to, you know, figure out what's going on in the scenario. But here there was a shooting, and the shooter apparently was shooting at his brother. But innocent people got shot. So respect, respect. Now, I'm going to ask you, Dr. Oliver Thompson, what is your take on this with policing and respect? Well, um, listening to what you were saying, and you're at the cemetery and law enforcement arrived, I mean, 
I've been in Inglewood since 1991, and uh, police being called to the cemetery is not um, a, a situation that is unheard of. Why? Because we have gangs in town. We have Crips, we have Bloods, we have Mexican Mafia, we have Emmy, we've got Aryan Brotherhood. And so a lot of times nobody knows who's being buried, but one gang member, uh, gang group shows up for their departed, and another gang shows up for their departed, and they will get into arguments. So my thing on calling the police in 2021 don't just call the police because you want some assistance. Think about more than likely what are you calling about. Mm-hmm. If it's a family member, it should be the last resort. Mm-hmm. Because see, if I was still a police chief, I would not be sending my officers out on a situation where we call it a 5150, danger to others, self are gravely disabled. No, Mm -hmm. I will only send out an officer along with another officer or a civilian who has been properly trained in mental health services and from a social work perspective. Mm -hmm. Because, see, I'm not going to send two armed officers out to a location, and as soon, soon as my officers arrive, you, the family, retreat back inside and say, you handle this. No, no, excuse me. That's your family member. You stay out here, and we will work through this together. Because see, you know, the reason I came in when you say policing and respect, as a young kid being reared in segregated Tulsa, Oklahoma, back in the 40s and 50s, there was a great deal of respect, even mm-hmm. though it was a segregated society. But mm-hmm. see, today that respect has dwindled away, and probably the reason why, you can't just put it on the community, law enforcement has not done its job to better understand who and what they are responding to and how to handle it in the most human way possible. Last thing, I came into law enforcement because I needed a job. I did not Mm -hmm. come into law enforcement to be a law enforcement officer. I Mm -hmm. was went off to college to be a Baptist minister. Now, you can mm-hmm. check that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought that you got a police in the church, too. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and that's true. true. That is true because a lot of times, I know, I remember when I started pursuing a, a, a career in law enforcement, and, you know, and I was married to a military police officer, and it's interesting because my daughter works in law enforcement, but they don't realize what a lot of people go through. And, yes, the family should handle it within themselves. And when you were saying it, I thought about my family. I remember one time my niece and my sister got into a fight at my house in Compton, and I said I was calling the police. My daughter worked for the shit part. She was like, I'm out of here. She left. So she just left me there all by myself. So I'm trying not to get into a fight, trying to make sure. And I don't live in Compton, but I go to Compton a lot. So I'm just trying to make sure I defuse the situation, but I knew I needed the police because I couldn't control my sister and her daughter. My niece said, you calling the police? I sure am calling the police. But when the police got there, my daughter, my sister was real calm. My niece was still under the influence of alcohol. You know, nobody got arrested, which they both should have went to jail. So I was trying to be quiet. 
But the thing is, a lot of times, family, we get so caught up because domestic violence and traffic stops are the two that I can think of most dangerous incidents for police officers. So I want to ask you, Dorian, what is your take on that when calling someone, the, the family call? Because, and that's how they, they get, you guys don't just show up for no reason. Somebody called you in most cases. But handling these situations, now sending us the, the person out, you know, having someone that's trained in mental health and things of that nature. What is your take on that, Doreen, and, and also the seriousness of these calls? Well, anytime you have family, it's going to be serious, uh, especially if a family member is calling because of another family member. Uh, one of the things that Dr. Thompson mentioned in, in about respect, you know, from the 1940s, 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. um, uh, as far as police were concerned, that attitude of respect um, started to dwindle as uh, as time moved forward to where we're at now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's deteriorated quite a bit, but you can't do old school policing in in a, uh, a modern society right now. It's not it's Woo! not working. You're right. You're, that, so it's, really, that's right it's a matter now. It's a matter now of of changing uh, how we how we train officers. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of them uh, learning because my my and. and and I'm sure that Dr. Thompson agrees with this, but, you know, most of these cops nowadays, police officers, they need to be uh, trained. I mean, it takes more hours to get a, a license to do hair than it does to carry a gun and a badge. Yes, yes. And, you know, with, with that, uh, in order for, for officers to be up on the times, they need to be at least educated to the point where they have at least a bachelor's degree minimum. Um, they need to increase the hours because I know mean, you go to Canada; those those guys are you know six months to to a year and a half, uh-huh. uh, depending on on you know like I, I know the Mounties for sure; uh, they're almost uh, almost a year before uh-huh. they are allowed to go out into the field. So those things like that. Uh, need to be addressed, and and there needs to be a some change. Um, and when I say some, I I mean in terms of the training that they get, and and where we actually get these officers from as, as well. Mm-hmm. Do you know what, Dory? I want to ask. Someone asked me a question. I was because I do the fifty-two week batteries innovation program as well as the child abuse program in Orange County, and one of my clients brought that question up, and he kind of, you know, and now we're looking at, and I'm talking about individuals that have been arrested, that been in and out of jail, that, you know, been engaged, and they proposed that question to me about the training. Now, I remember when I was first trying to pursue a a degree or a, a job in the field of law enforcement, back then you did not need a bachelor's degree. But you still had to take a test, and they still gave you the MLPI and the PSI test. So they were looking for a certain type of individual. Now I believe it's changed. I remember when I was trying to apply it for 
for, um, what was it, Oceanside Police Department and with the Orange County Prevention Department, then you needed a degree, at least a bachelor's degree. So I gave him a scenario where in the post-academy, how long is the post-academy? Because I think that was six months. It's um, a good question. I, it, I, it's, it's varies now. I, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I think on the average it, it was uh, four to six months. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it was four months. So what I said to him was it took me 10 years to get my degrees and education of where I'm at. Now, of course, in law enforcement, nobody had that kind of time to say, I want to invest 10 years to be a cop. But then some of the training are, is done by individuals in law enforcement to where now they're opening it up to where individuals can get grants and then they can go in and do certain trainings. But I noticed that even with myself as a licensed therapist, when I go to special incidents and, and different scenarios where law enforcement might want to call me to get my assistance, Sometimes the cops don't even want to hear from someone because they feel you can't relate. You don't know what we go through. And we're looking at a respect, and respect goes both ways. You know, respecting what they do as well as respecting individuals as a human being. Because somehow, somewhere, the attitudes change. I don't know if it has a lot to do with the media. I don't know if it has a lot to do with what the things we've seen on television. I don't know if it had a lot to do with, you know, the individual saying that your cops should live where they where they uh, work. Because growing up in Compton, I remember there was a police officer that lived in our neighborhood, and he wasn't the best of the police officers, you know. So sometimes we get our biases and our perceptions based on our experiences, and that kind of shapes the way we view things. But, yeah, back in the 50s and the 60s, we they were supposed to respect authority. But when we still talk about these attitudes. So I'm going to ask you, Dr. Oliver, what can we do to shift these attitudes to where we see police officers running down the street carrying babies, helping individuals? I know a lot of police officers don't just want to do social work. But what can we do about this attitude because it's getting out of control? Well, it's not getting out of control. It's out of control. Number one, it is back, <laughs> uh, went um went out the window with the Rodney King beating. <clears throat> See, yeah. the thing of it is, we have to, if we're going to be honest about talking about police, and we're going to have to break it down to demographics and ethnicities. Correct. White Americans are very supportive of law enforcement, no matter what law enforcement does. Black Americans are non-supportive. Mm-hmm. In the middle, the Latinx population. And mm-hmm. they are caught between, you know, maybe I will and maybe I won't, depending upon the culture and stuff like that. So when we talk about respect for me, it went out the window with the Rodney King video that was found not guilty of four LAPD officers because Ooh. black Americans in the L.A., Inglewood, Hawthorne area saw what occurred and felt no matter what, even with a video, you're mm-hmm. not going to find these officers. And ever since 1991 up until 2021, 30 years, there has been a decreasing level of because no matter what, 
African Americans believe that they will not be given a fair shot by law uh-huh. enforcement regardless of the ethnicity of the officer. Now, as to training, the biggest detractors on training is going to come from white society, police unions. Unions yep. do not want to end up extending out the training. But then also it's going to come from police chiefs who are going to be hiring someone, and they don't want that person away from the employment of the agency an additional four, five, six months. So Uh unless you can get the police chiefs and the unions addressing the issues with the community, you're not going to have a change in this area. Now, see, criminal justice system reform, out of all of this discussion, the bottom line is the question needs to be posed to the African-American community, what kind of policing do you want? What time do you want? And let us decide, because when you say living in the community, when I went to Inglewood, I was the first police chief to live in the community over 30 years. Mm. Okay. I still live at 7845 West Boulevard in the city of Inglewood. Mm-hmm. Hello? You so leave. I moved there because my <laughs> belief is if I'm going to be the leader of this organization, I have to be in the community to understand when I'm contacted by my constituency as to what is needed to end up making changes within the organization. Policing, respect, police unions, white society, et cetera, and all of that has to come together to decide. But the primary proponent is black Americans going to have to decide do they want police, and what form of policing do they want in their communities? You know, and, and I like the way you put that, and I, I do want the listeners to know that I do have two educated, highly respected African-American ex-police officers on here. So I want them to know that, that it's not just you guys just bringing this up, but you know that's interesting because, like, with my grandmother, and, you know, even you're talking about police unions and all these things, they had other organizations going on back then, you know. They had their own little clique, and they knew more because they got involved more than many of us do now within our community. So we want to call the police when it's convenient for us, but you're right. We don't want to support them. We don't want to. Figure, we, we don't, and, and some people just don't know, or some people don't care, or whatever that take is in regards to their attitude, but we do have to let them know this is what we want, this is what we're looking for. Now, you talked a lot about in regards to just even the um, the accountability, and not only that, I know when you and I had a conversation, you brought up laws and accountability. How can individuals go about implementing laws to make things so that we can let the police know this is what we need. Because, yeah, communities are different. You guys, um, white, black, mixed, you guys, middle class, upper class. Some individuals even, I'm going to use Orange County for an example. They didn't even realize they had gangs in Orange County. You know, you got individuals on drugs. You got mental health issues. So you got a whole lot of different dynamics that's going on. So how can a person go to the police chief or the department and say, hey, this is what my neighborhood needs. And how can well, I live, 
they, they knew what my address is. They knew my neighbors knew who I was. Okay. They knew I gave them my phone number. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the department phone number. I'm talking about my cell phone number. Mm-hmm. And I was available 24-7. Now, what I would say to my neighbors is that talk to the, talk to the council person who represents you in that area. Contact the mayor. Uh, contact the city manager. Above all, talk to me also. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't work, now you move to the next level, the district attorney. Mm-hmm. You move to the next level. You deal with whoever's in the state assembly, who's in the state senate, all the way up to Sacramento. And so you begin to work at the community level, mm-hmm. but then also you say saying what I want. And, 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 and that's where change came about when I was in a tenure at uh, Inglewood Police Department. They mm-hmm. knew me, and it wasn't Chief. It was Oliver. Hey, Oliver, what's up, man? <laughs> That kind of, they, they kind of they, yeah. They, they saw me in the supermarket. They saw me in the bank. They saw me getting my car washed. They saw mm-hmm. me getting my haircut. So they had this respect for you, and you know. And when you said that, I was thinking about in Oceanside because I live in Oceanside. We had um, Reginald Grisby. He was an officer like that, and I remember he had difficulties even trying to get promoted up shoot through the ranks. I remember being a lieutenant. I remember being a sergeant. I remember. You know, him and I used to coach baseball together where our kids played sports. So a lot of times that, that's definitely needed. And then that way you can know, and that also builds up the trust. Now, we talked about some things, that, and I would like for you gentlemen to help us with this. We hear these, these buzzwords on the, on the radio, or we hear it when we talk watching television, and they talk about qualified immunity. What do that mean, qualified immunity? Dorian, I I've never heard of that until just now. Really? A qualified immunity, qualified immunity speaks toward if an officer is doing their job as they were trained, even if it turns out bad. The courts from the U.S. Supreme Court have immunized, just like we're going through now. COVID, there's a vaccination, that's an immunization. Well, the same immunization toward an officer doing their job. Now, that's, that's, that's case law in that area. That's case law. And so law enforcement officers are given qualified immunity based upon them doing their job. District attorneys are given functional immunity when they are looking at a case and deciding the charges. Judges Uh are given absolute immunity based upon how they end up resolving the case. Do you remember Latasha Harlins? That Uh white female judge in L.A. Superior Court gave the businesswoman house arrest for shooting Latasha and killing Uh her. Yep. So you've got these immunities that are out there. Now, hopefully, California will begin to examine that. And one of the things they have done is 835A of the penal code, how much force can an officer use in arresting, resisting, or keeping a person from escaping. And instead of it just being a short paragraph, 
Now, if you read 835A of the Penal Code, instead of may use, what they're saying is you must be able to justify what you do as reasonable. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the way you, you just gave us that description because it can help individuals have a better understanding because a lot of these cases that we are, are having coming to our attention with the George Floyd, with, you know, a lot of different things. And the first thing they used to always say was they was resisting arrest. How are you going to resist arrest in your handcuffs? Or they were, um, re- um, they were not only just resisting but escaping because they'd be afraid that people go escape. And I believe that was the, the last, one of the, one of the last, was the 20-year-old, because a lot of individuals, when they see the cops, the first thing they want to do is run. They, they just want to run, you know. And we try to educate our children, or in most cases, to let them know. You know, I remember the show, Doretta, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. So when they see the police, they want to run, but do you let them go, or do you just do your best to try to catch them? But then it, it becomes questionable of, did you need to kill them? Did you, could you just, you know, taser them, shoot them in the leg, shoot them? I was watching the young lady of the, the incident that happened in Ohio, and the sister was on the news with her lawyer, and she was saying how when her sister was shot and killed by the police, yeah, the girl probably was upset. Yeah, she, she frustrated. She, did you have to kill her? Was she escaping? Was she resisting? She, what about the kid that was killed in the in the car recently? Uh, who was just trying to drive away, and, and, mm-hmm. and that's female that's officers that's shot him. Yes, that's what you And I, he probably could have, could have got scared, and he was trying to get away, trying to leave, trying to scare. And then individuals have their own perception of how they view that. Now I know I got a thirty-six year old. My son is a runner. He see the police, he go run. He run from his mama. So if he run from his mama, I know he run for the police. And ain't like he ain't never got arrested before because he has. But he has to use wisdom. But see, he gets to the point, he won't even tell me when he get in trouble. So when we start talking about keeping him from escaping, because it becomes, I want to say, not making a black and white issue, but how there's some kids that are Caucasian, they just let them go. <laughs> my, my daughter, my daughter she, had, she said it best when she said, we run from police or the police chase us down or whatever, but by that same token, the police didn't run from them because now they're chasing the police. It's like, really? Who's the cop? So what can, and when we, okay, so that was one thing about I wanted to thank you for, like I said, the qualified immunity. The other one I wanted to bring up, we keep hearing defunding the police. What does that mean? Because people are old, they got it all twisted. Dorian. Basically, I'm I'm gonna yeah, I'll let Oliver finish this one. But basically, defunding is 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 taking away uh, funding that would most likely hire newer officers, uh, equip the police officers so they can get equipment uh, to do their jobs. Uh, I I'm not sure if that really is the answer, but. Because their budgets basically they are funding the things that are necessary to, for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, Dr. Thompson would know better because you know he was the chief, so he understands that more. Um, but the bottom line is is that when if you def- defund, then most likely you're going to cut 
uh, the hiring of, of officers. And in my estimation, the way I would see it, if you're going to cut officers, then you're going to end up cutting um, minority officers that possibly would be getting hired, and especially those needed in, in, in the communities that we're referring to right now. Correct. Now, you know, I want to I want to throw this in before Dr. Oliver speak on that. Is because it has been said that a lot of officers, because of all these high profile cases, are walking around on eggshells, and many have resigned or quit because they are don't like the way things are going, feeling like their power or their ability to police is being taken away because of those where when they say defund. I don't know if they had, I remember back in 2000, I think it was 93, they had hiring freezes. I don't know what's going on with that now. So I hear what you're saying when we talk about defunding, but what we still need to make sure we have police officers out there. We need the manpower. We need to be able to call someone to help us when these things are happening, when we have these mass shootings or whatever the case may be. So we're trying to figure out what the heck policing is going to even look like. So... Dr. Oliver, defunding the police, what is your input in regards to that? Um, gosh, you know, I would, I, I, Dora and I have talked about this. I would give my left, whatever, to be a police chief <laughs> today. And the reason being, but see, put me in a department whereby the charter, the city charter, allows me to have civil service protection that will keep me away from the at-will status, that if there are five council persons, three, I've got to always have three in support of me. Once I get to two, I'm in trouble. And a city that is progressive, give me a city manager like the city manager I had in Inglewood by the name of Paul Echols, a white man, who was the city manager in Inglewood for over 20 years. And have he and I, and he delegate to me, okay, Chief, in view of all the stuff that's going on with defunding the police and all that, give me your best view of how you would revamp the Inglewood Police Department. I would love it. I would love it. Well, you know, it might not be too late to even still put your input in or being on a committee no, because you're not, talking not, something. Jeanette, I'm, I'm, Jeanette, I'm 79. I'm too old to deal with some of this mess that's going on now. But what I'm saying is is that it's, uh, you can reform the police, but you must. Bring the community in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, you, if I'm in Inglewood, we're mm-hmm. going to have town hall meetings with the community <clears throat> as number one question. Do mm-hmm. you want the police? Mm-hmm. What form of policing do you want to have in your community? And mm-hmm. how should we go about ensuring we give you the best police officer and support resources that mm-hmm. will help resolve the issue that comes up at that particular time. Mm-hmm. See, you can't leave it to the police. Correct. You can't leave it to the unions without involving the people who are 
victimized. Let's be honest. Victimized by law enforcement. And that's the community. That's why it's so important for officers to live where they police. Now, I know with that kind of a statement, there's a whole bunch of officers out there ain't going to buy any of that because they don't (laughs) want to live in the woods. They want to live in Orange County, Ventura County, suburbia, L.A., and all of that. They don't want to live where they police because they say there's a fear of. Well, 99% of the time there is no fear if you go about doing your job the way it should be done. That's true. That is true. You know what? I like what you said now. I don't know, uh, Dorian, have you been able to reach Elsie Buckshot because – his brother have not returned my phone call. So I gave um, the number to Dorian where I have a friend of mine whose father is, they said, one of the oldest police officers. He's still out there on the course doing the beaties in Camden, Arkansas. He retired for five months and then still went back to work. And you kind of sound like him, Oliver Thompson. But it's interesting because he was it was just ingrained in him. So he made sure he made his voice, his opinions, his ideas be very well known. And like you said, even now you work for Riverside Community College, you a strong willed minded individual, you know, sitting on communities, letting it be known, because sometimes people don't know and they don't wanna know. And it becomes this power thing, and it becomes political. And I like that you just told me about the civil service protection. I've never heard of that. But I know that they do have certain, when we start talking about politics, and part of the police, it do become kind of political at times. Now, another thing that came up, (laughs) I'm trying to say it mildly, you know, but a lot of individuals don't even know the politics that goes along with that. A lot of politicking, a lot of politicking. Yeah, but, you know, there. I, I have to, to interject on, on part of this and, and basically add on to what Dr. Thompson was saying, and that is is that um, is just like New York back in the day, they, they required you to live in the neighborhood that you uh, at, at least live in the city. Mm-hmm. And... Um, to some degree, LAPD had a similar rule, but then, of course, uh, just like Dr. Thompson was saying, they ended up saying, well, you know, it's too dangerous. Well, if you're just like he was saying, if you're doing your job, you're going to get respect. People are going to be there. They're not going to uh, uh, mess with you. They're not going to allow you to. I When I worked at the uh, both in Inglewood and Gardena, I lived in, in the city as well, both of them. Uh-huh. And people would actually call up, especially when I was there at Gardena, they would call up and say, is, uh, is Officer Burton on? Because, you know, my son wants to turn himself in, but he's, he's only going to do it if, 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 if uh, Officer Burton comes in and picks him up. So that's the kind of respect that, uh, Dr. Thompson's talking about. That's mm-hmm. the thing where people understand that, you know what, I'm going to get a fair shake. I don't have to worry about, you know, my relative getting uh, beat down uh, trying to turn herself in. It's it's not like that. And But you have to, to earn that respect in order to get that level of respect uh, from the community. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, they don't make it easy because you have other individuals 
that don't live in that in, in the city. And um, I'm not saying all, because I do know some that are not, you know, abusive. But if if you have a vested interest community, then you know you're you're going to make sure that people like like he said when he goes when he when Dr. Thompson goes to the store when he was going to do get his hair cut and everything, everything was done right there in the city. Correct. He didn't have anything to worry about. I mean, they knew him, they respected him, uh, and just like where I was at, you know, both uh, people knew who I was, and and they uh-huh. never, I never had an issue at all. So that's uh-huh. where where we need to go back to that type of uh, of, of policing or requirement where we have people that that are in the city. And they have a vested interest in the in the city. Now I want to bring this up because I know people are texting me and a lot of different information coming in. One of the issues that, and not only just talking about the African American or low income communities, but the black on black crime. And they say black on black crime is higher than police shootings. Now, when individuals in law enforcement are going into these neighborhoods and we're seeing these different things, does the policing change? Is there a fear? Is it, and, and part of it is educating individuals where we can just get along. Like I heard what Dr. Thompson was saying about the families. Some of these families need to handle their situations so that they don't have to come in there and do these things. But what is your take on that with the black-on-black crime? Black-on-black crime is a, is, is a red herring. Look, uh-huh. people kill people. Uh-huh. Black folk kill black folk. Hispanic, Latinx kill uh-huh. Hispanic, Latinx. White people kill white people. Asians kill Asians. Stop it. Uh-huh. That's a red herring. Because see, it'll uh-huh. try to be one of those things like, yeah, but. When something is brought up, yeah, but. People kill people, no matter where they are. And so the thing with it is, no matter what color to, they are, either. no matter what color they are, no matter what gender they are, male versus female, trans versus straight. Come on now, stop it! I think of those people. And so mm-hmm. it comes, what it comes down to is an understanding of human behavior and allowing people to resolve their issues. Uh-huh. I will guarantee this. If there were as many white young men being killed by law enforcement with or without weaponry on them, uh-huh. this would be a different discussion. Correct. I Absolutely. guarantee it. It would be a different discussion because if I don't value, if I don't respect, if I don't hold in respect the person that I'm dealing with, there you then, go. Okay? There so you I've go. got to respect you. I've got, you have to be seen with value. And mm-hmm. I'll just stop here. Stanley Tukey Williams, oh, original yep. of the what? Crips. Crips and Cops. Mm-hmm. Went to state prison. Death Row began to write 
children's book. Mm-hmm. for the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm-hmm. Now, you mean to tell me, yes, he did murder and rob people, but uh-huh. he ended up paying the penalty. Do you mean to tell me he had no value? See, these are things we talk about in class. Yeah. I will he, say to my, to my students, everybody's got value. Yes. But, you know, I want to say, Dr. Oliver, I remember when I was in school back in the 90s and I was training law enforcement, and I heard the term then, NHI, non-human involved. And that was a perception that a lot of individuals, when I was in school, we were taught. But when they were looked at non-human involved, they looked at them as people of color, poor, mental illness, drug and alcohol, homelessness. That was a problem. And, and when I asked the teacher, what do you mean non-human involved? And so what was happening is if you go in not viewing them as a human being, you're not going to treat them as a human being, and then we have a problem. So you want them to treat you as a human being, so then when they call you pigs and calling you out of your name, that it goes, it's going both ways, and it needed to stop. It really needed to stop. So I challenged my teacher in regards to that because that made no sense to me of who, how can you say who deserves your respect and who don't. And that's where the table starts flipping, like you said. If they mess around and all these other kids and things of other ethnicities start getting killed and shot, then it's going to be a different story. Then I want to say, I was watching the news today, and I want to hear what you say about this too, Dr. Oliver Thompson. They had the family where these two young men in Italy, I believe, went to go buy drugs and killed a police officer. The family yep. is begging and want mercy on their sentence. Right, right. You trying to buy drugs and you killed the cop. What is your take on those things that I just said? I know it was a lot, but what's your take on that, Dr. Thompson? It just speaks to the times that we find ourselves in. We speak to social media. We talk about the uh, court of uh, human uh, human and public opinion instead of a court of law. <laughs> proportionality talks about you are being given the sentence in proportion to the crime that you committed. Mm-hmm. Family members are going to step up, and they're going to beg the court and all that kind of stuff but I hope that the court holds firm and they end up sentencing them to the time prescribed by law, period. Mm-hmm. Because they would darn sure do it if it was somebody who looked like, you know, myself. <laughs> Dorian's a little lighter. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hit it as hard. You can do that. He can do that. He can do that. You're funny, Albert. <laughs> oh boy! I, I, I have. Let me add one thing uh, about what uh, uh, what Dr. Thompson was. Uh, I can tell you for a fact. I, uh, as far as Tookie was concerned, Stanley Tookie Williams. He lived right across the street from me. You know, and I think that's. That I, I had to get me the nickname Tookie. I was like, ooh, because my father was friends, so I I've heard of him. I knew him. Yeah, I lived right across the street from I mean, directly across the street from him when I lived in Compton. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at that time, a lot of people didn't know, but he was running a boy's home. He was the, the head guy at, at a boy's home. Um, and he, I n- never had an issue with any of the people. Uh-huh. 
uh, that were there. So, I mean, there was, he, yeah, he was just like he said, uh, like Dr. Thompson said, he was, he was a murderer and a gangster and he's a founder, you know, one of the founding guys of the, of the mm-hmm. Crips. But if you knew what the Crips, the, the, what it actually stands for, it started off in a positive Mm-hmm. And then, of course, as things you know deteriorated, it, be, it became uh, one of the most feared gangs in, in the nation. But he, to his credit, at least he did do some good in the beginning. And then, just before he died, he, he actually, you know, uh, like you said, he I guess he, he he found God or found Jesus, and and he he wrote that book uh, for the kids. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he knew he knew why he was in prison, and he knew that what he had done, that uh, he deserved what he was going to get. Mm-hmm. And you know, but the thing is, like you said, if you saw him walking down the street, don't mean you mistreat him. If you knew Rodney King was on drugs on PC, don't mean you beat him down. Like with Billy Clubs, you know, my father, I mean, my mother didn't even want people to know he was our father. And he knew Tookie Williams because that was my nickname was Tookie. I used to be like, why do you call me Tookie? Tookie rhymed with Dookie. So I did not like that name at all. So I grew up around that with the Black Panthers. And it goes back to what you said about the fear. See, a lot of times individuals would either look at, I'm a fear you, or I'm going to respect you. And they thought that if I feared you, I'm supposed to respect you. But that didn't always go like that. It really didn't. So now that when we started policing, you got just as many companies come up to cribs. You got police officers and probation officers that are skinheads, that are on drugs, that are, you got, there's no difference. Sometimes the only difference is a bag. Because sometimes they both got guns. I remember in Orange County, when I was, by, when I had my company, I kept bumping heads with um, the probation department, and the county council wrote a letter to my attorney and said, Jeanette Abney has a cavalier approach towards probation. Thanks, scared of you. So I just had to learn how to do things differently. And sometimes in a community, we don't know no other way but to fight. That's why we have to, you know, we, protesting is fine, but you got to know what you're protesting for. But we got to go back to making sure that we're one another. And I like the way Dr. Thompson put that out there because, you know, we don't want, we don't need no more assistance shootings. We don't need nobody. We don't even need the cops getting killed. We don't because they have families. Like I said, my daughter works in law enforcement. If I get a call that somebody that shot my daughter, we're going to be a problem. So we got to go back to respecting individuals. Now, I brought that up and the respect. The Let's talk a little bit about when we start talking about the respect, about the Profiling, racial profiling. Either of you want to touch that one? We talked about the, um, the, the dehumanizing. What about the racial profiling? Has that gotten any better? Depending upon the community we're talking about. <laughs> uh, right. in, Inglewood, in, in Inglewood, you can't talk about racial profiling because you're going to have two major demographics, Latinx mm-hmm. and African American. Mm-hmm. When right. I get a call of a crime and a reported suspect, it's going to be one or two of them. It ain't going to be no white. It may be an Asian, but more than likely it's going to be a black or a Latinx. That's it. 
So I mm-hmm. always say to my class, now tell me, how can I racially profile in such a community? What mm-hmm. it comes down to, I'm reading a book like uh, by Dr. Bettina Loves, and she's talking about we have to do more than survive. We, you know, we've got to thrive. It comes down to cultures beginning to understand what another culture is all about. Most uh-huh. quite often do not understand the black community. Yep. And even for a lesser degree, do they understand the Latinx community, even though there are more Latinx officers being hired. Right. But just yep. remember that culture is bifurcated and trafficated and quadricated because there are so many cultures within that particular demographic. So that uh-huh. needs to be an understanding of who the people is that I'm dealing with. I've got to understand that this young black them. male, mm-hmm. this young black male, can more than likely be my 43-year-old son who lives at 7845 West Boulevard with his wife and five children, all young women. And mm-hmm. when he's walking down the street with his daughters, white citizens who have now moved back into Inglewood in, uh, because mm-hmm. of gentrification, which is another thing, officers can't another afford to live in Inglewood no more. They can't afford wow. that. But don't look at him sideways like he just came to town. Mm-hmm. He's been there since, he, since 1991. So it comes mm-hmm. to understanding who is this person, and just because I see him, it should not be an inherent fear as to who that person is because of the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. You, you know what? You brought up a point because even in Inglewood, Inglewood is changing. We, I was just in Inglewood yesterday, and what they're building that for, they're going to be changing the whole demographics because I was looking at daughter and was like, Mom, that's the prime property over there. There's some property. And she knows good more there, and I'm going to sell us that property. <laughs> but by that same token, it was a thought. But it's it ain't going to be, it's, it's not going to be, Inglewood has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has changed. When, when Crokey brought it $5 billion dollars in to build SoFi Stadium, Inglewood changed. Uh-huh. And Baldwin yep. ended up realizing that at the forum, MSG and other folk, and people know who I'm talking about in Inglewood, wanted to be obstructionists. Balmer said, how much? $400 million. Give them fools $400 million so I can get them out of my hair. Uh-huh. See, that's the kind of thing that's coming into Inglewood now that's going to change Inglewood completely. But the problem is those people at the low end of the ladder of social living and justice and all of that uh-huh. are going to be pushed out because they can't afford to live there anymore. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah, it's happening in Yeah, un- all under the the auspices of of gentrification, as they say, or yeah. or reforms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's why LAPD has such a problem with Skid Row. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because and you know, those places down there now go over a million dollars. Correct, and these are things that people don't talk about because they don't know. You know, and even if right. these individuals are defaulting on their homes, they can't be defaulting on their property. They want to default, and they make it so that people can't afford to live in these areas. Now, getting back to, like I said, we got to, 
be open-minded. We got to be willing to learn. We got to be, you know, and that's what I liked about my grandparents. They may sit back and act like they didn't know. They may not have the education as far as the, the PhDs and the master's degrees. They were far from being stupid. They saw what was going on, and they tried to teach us, younger generations. But we thought, oh, that's not true. They don't know what they're talking about. But now we're seeing it. My mother used to, her favorite line was, keep living. Now, when we start talking about policing and respect, I want to focus, because I know we're running out of time, and if anyone want to call in, if you have any questions for um, Dr. Dorian Burton or for Dr. Oliver Thompson, give us a call at 516-387-1914, because we want to hear what you've got to say or your thoughts, your questions, your input. But I want to talk a little bit about, we start talking about respect, violent crimes. Crimes are still being committed. Things are still happening. So we do need police to go out there and handle these situations that we cannot handle. But we got to be able to respect and trust that it's being handled appropriately. Can we speak a little bit about what's going on with violent crime? Crime needs well, to be investigated. But who does the investigation? See, <laughs> Again, I'm saying we need to go all the way back and change the culture by changing how the organization is viewed and Mm -hmm. what role the community wants. Mm -hmm. What role the community wants for that organization to do what we say they must do. Let the community decide. This Mm -hmm. is not for agencies. This is for the community to decide. So are you saying we need to go back to what we had when we had Community Watch? Or are we going back to, because we got such a breakdown in communities to where sometimes we don't even know our neighbors. We don't talk to each other. you got neighbors fighting each other. So I like the way when you were talking about the laws and accountability. But when you say the community, are we talking about, and, and the, just the citizens that live there, we got other organizations. You know, I, I own the Center for the Treatment of Addiction and J.A. Precious. I sit on some of the, the, I would go to some of the meetings where we would work with schools and truancies and different behaviors. What do that mean when you say the community? Who, who are we talking about here? The residents, of the, the residents in the jurisdiction of that particular city limit. That's who I'm talking about. There you right. go. Ta- tax paying, the tax paying residents, exactly. That's correct. <clears throat> And, and, and Dorian, I might even say not just only taxpaying because some, of, you know, we do have some long-standing renters yeah. in the in the right. city who mm-hmm. are law-abiding, upstanding people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. And they have a say too. If they're moving right. into these cities, they have a say. That's and right. that's what you were talking about, writing your city councilman, going to the, you know, go to these meetings when they're talking and coming up with all these laws. Because we have to do better. We really have to do better, especially when it comes down to policing and respect. You know, educating yeah, people. But we got to watch some of these, these, these council people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the thing of it is, why did they become a council person? Number one, <laughs> is it because of the power of the position, et cetera, or is it really to be a help to the uplifting of their community? Mm-hmm. 
You know what? And that's powerful, too, because a lot of time it is about power. It's really about power. You know, I tell people, I'm not going to bribe me with no money. You ain't going to even do you with food. You ain't going to bribe me with no food because I don't believe in keeping people down but giving people opportunities. And I know individuals from all walks of life. But by that same token, they still deserve to live. So we do need to get back to the way we treat people. So I like to that even with our um, local government. You need to be careful with who you vote for and what is their mission. Why are they there? What do you plan on accomplishing? Holding people accountable. Now, I know we're running out of time. I want to go back to, I'm asking both of you guys, we talked about policing and respect. How can we hold each other accountable? Dorian? Well, as far as the 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 police are, are concerned, um, it's who you put in at the the top spot, and it really comes down to the individuals, like Oliver was saying, that that basically um, make those decisions. It's, it's 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 the voting people that put in the individuals that are in charge of their, their particular area who in turn get to choose the, who, who the chief is. Basically, they have some input on that. So those individuals need to be held accountable on who they put in there in the first place. Um, and, and, and that power, whatever that power is, they need to basically make sure that it, whatever the vote is, it's across the board. Everyone is, is basically <clears throat> has a say on who that chief is going to be. So, Dorian, how do we hold the people in the community accountable and the families accountable? How do we hold them accountable and not blame them when their loved one has been shot, killed, committed crimes? How do we hold the people accountable, in your opinion? That that's that's a tough one because <clears throat> most of our uh, are either they're single single parents uh, household and you know they're working trying to 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 eke out you know an existence so that they can survive feed their kids take care of uh, whatever their bills are wow. and and then you've got uh, kids that basically the reason why they join these gangs is because they they don't have any supervision. And it's not because the parents don't want to supervise. It's because uh-huh. the parents are out there, you know, two, three, sometimes four jobs trying to make enough money so that they can survive. <laughs> and, you know, so, I like... You know, mm-hmm. at, at, at that point, it really comes down to, again, to the city officials of setting up programs um, like they do in the white communities uh-huh. where, you know, the, the, uh, they have programs for the kids, either uh-huh. after school programs or programs. And I'm not talking about where they go out and play caroms or play basketball and all that stuff. Yeah, that's fine. 
but you know, you go to some of the white neighborhoods, you'll you'll see that those kids are in uh, in in programs to educate them. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And I want to say because I know, I mean, I have officers in Orange County. Kids in Orange County get arrested too in Orange County, but they get arrested differently. They get in trouble too, even though they're coming sometimes from single. I mean, from um, two parent homes, middle class. They still out there committing crimes. And the parents put a blind eye on, wow, like I said, the, the people that killed the cop in Italy, two parents. These were two white guys buying drugs. Parents are like, wow, but he's a really good kid. He really didn't mean to do that. So these things are happening, but we have to make sure we're holding people accountable in regards to what they're doing and not criminalize everybody. But resources, programs, all that's great. But we have to also open our eyes to what's going on. Dr. Oliver Thompson, how can we hold each other accountable, in your opinion? Well, you can't you can hold society accountable because you're not going to do it. Number one, uh, the first part of learning comes from the home. If mm-hmm. the parent is not trained in how to be a parent, where do they learn how to be a parent? They learn from their mother. Who did their mother learn from their mother? And it goes back generationally. The mm-hmm. best you can do on accountability is when you're talking about agency. Now, with society, what can occur if there's a crime that has occurred and an arrest has occurred and the person finds themselves going to court, district attorney, what's the most appropriate charge for their criminal activity and move on it and be much more judicious and plea bargaining rather than basically giving the store away or whatever the case might be. Uh-huh. It comes down to the primary area of agency that has broken down has been in the public sector. Has been in the public sector. Law enforcement, district attorney, courts, corrections. Those uh-huh. are viewed in many instances as being corrupt. All the way yep. to the U.S. Supreme Court with a 6-3 conservative majority. Mm-hmm. So until you begin to write that ship, it's going to be rather hard to point a finger back at the community and say we are desirous of more accountability from you. Now, Mama used to say, take the beam out of your eye before you talk about the speck in your brother's eye. You know what? You know what? And that's, that's going to have to be grounds for another show because – we're going to have to talk about that because that's partly where some of the disrespect came from is because of the corruption, too, that happens within police departments, within politics, within and it's abuse of power, and people lose respect. But by that same token, it's hard for good cops out there. And I like how they had this one cop. She was fired, I believe, where she had um, turned another cop in that was bad. But because of the George Floyd incident, they basically, she they overturned her stuff, gave her her money back. Because what do you do? You know, we were looking at with the federal indictment of the other cop officers that was involved in that, where they violated his civil rights. So now cops are going to be like, look, if my partner is doing something, you ain't got no business doing it. I'm not going down with you. It'd be like um, Doria, Dr. Lisa, Robert used to tell me, you know, we ain't got no bail money. So <laughs> that was her to let me know as a therapist, I'm not getting in trouble with you. So we do need to also hold each other accountable, too. And when we start talking about within the police department now, 
Sometimes getting rid of the bad apples, mm, it, it, it got, but it got to be done. That's the only way we're going to be able to. You know, <clears throat> I think I know what story you're talking about. Was that the one with the uh, the young lady uh, who was a black female who was a, with the Buffalo, New York Police Department? Yeah. Yes, it was. Is that who you're re- referring to, uh, Jeanette? No, I wasn't referring yeah. to one particular. I'm just saying that these are the things. Oh, yeah, that is the one. That is the one, yes. Yeah. She was yeah, the theater. Okay, yeah, yeah. When it she, happened, she it was like she was supposed to go along with the whole place, supposed to be telling on nobody. Right. Or, even when we had the one that looked like LL Cool J, you know, when he went on this, yeah. this manifesto, I, I mean, I'm not saying what he did was good or right, but I understood but look how he was treated. And when he was talking about how they were treating individuals that were handicapped and disabled, what they do to him? It was a mess. So then he goes out and he go after them, and they, the LAPD was scared. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but the police were scared of him because he was nothing to play with. And when they when they blew up that Christopher, yep, there Christopher you go. Donner. Daughter, when they yeah. blew up that place and they was on CNN and about blow that sucker up, and the things they were saying about him, I'm like, really, really? But they, that was a whole big issue. But see, you have individuals that want to say something, but if they say something against their own, they in trouble. Yeah, that's it. Well, and you know, case in point, the young lady you're referring to from Buffalo's because of her stopping her partner from beating this guy down who was black and who was handcuffed. And he was hes basically yelling out that he needed help because this guy was uh, was beating him up bad. Mm-hmm. So he intervened because she punched him, punched the cop in the face to get him off of him because he wasn't stopping. Um, mm-hmm. He got, I believe he got flung to the floor uh, and then at that point, she had to pull out her weapon. <clears throat> well, she got, not only did she get terminated, but uh, they didn't give her her pension, and they rewarded the the uh, white officer, the male officer, by promoting him to lieutenant. Mm-hmm. So um, she had to go to court to fight to get her, her pension, and the only reason why I believe she got it was because the uh, they found out that this officer was dirty, the one that she stopped. That he uh-huh. he had a whole history, a whole background of 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 uh, egregious uh, behavior against uh, minorities, and who knows what else. Uh-huh. But hey, Jeanette. Back to yes. what Oliver was saying, what what minority officer or what what minority would want to work for a police department like that? And you have individuals that are on the on the department, like and giving you a hard time, and then you get fired for doing the right thing, and you lose your job, and no one else is going to want to touch you because of the culture. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Okay, Jeanette, uh, I've got to go to a class. So I've I got to deal well, with my You know students. what? We went over. We went over. But I want to thank you, too. we got to bring this okay, subject but let me, up. Okay, but, but let me just say this. Uh, I've gotten to a point in my life, and I've got students who are listening in. Um, uh, I'm to a point now that the system, the so-called criminal justice system, with the practitioners who are in charge of operationalizing the system is completely broken. The only thing that can save this criminal justice component under the U.S. Constitution has to be something of a spiritual, miracle-working manner. Human Uh behavior cannot resolve these issues. Because every time we talk about one thing, another thing pops up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And until we can end up getting all members of society absent their partisanship, Democrat, Republican, conservative, progressive, whatever the case might be, police, courts, corrections, all moving toward with liberty and justice for all, you will still be having these podcasts. It ain't going to change. Gotcha, but you know what? God is being being strategic and orchestrating people and putting them in certain positions because I never thought I would be in a position that I'm in. You know, I wanted to go in law enforcement, but not to abuse my authority and my power. But by that same token, I still have the same ability to work with individuals in law enforcement to educate them, to help them, provide therapy to them, to deal with PTSD, um, secondary trauma, all of that. Because that's what God did for me to do. It wasn't what Jeanette wanted to do. Because by now, I would be retired. Because it was in the 90s when I was trying to go into law enforcement. So, But then I had to get educated in other areas of drug and alcohol, um, domestic Mm -hmm. violence child abuse. So now I'm able to take that education, information, and knowing that I have respect for individuals from all walks of life to help bring this to the table. So like I said, God is still in control. But thank you. I appreciate you. And if you have any questions, comments, let me know. Tomorrow I want to talk about repentance. Because it goes back to, Dr. Oliver, what you were saying, is some of these things we got to repeat, but we repent. We gotta change from our ways if we want yep. things to go better. Cause the way we're doing yep. it now, send us straight to hell. And be like one of my pastors used to say, I don't have heaven or hell to put nobody in. But some of us, we just we just looking for that little hole to fall into. But we need to stop some of this because yes. we're hurting innocent people. We really are. Right. So thank right. you for joining us at Precious Predicaments Block Talk Radio. Until then, take care. Thank you guys. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. All right. Bye.